0: The James Bay and Hudson Bay lowlands are a huge expanse of wetlands that stretch from northern Quebec across Ontario and into Manitoba. While indigenous peoples and settlers alike have searched the land for precious metals for more than a hundred years, one company made a discovery in 2007 that put a spotlight on northern Ontario. It triggered a buzz of activity in the region as mining companies rushed to stake their claim on a region rich with valuable minerals like nickel and chromite it would come to be known as the Ring of Fire. The Ring of Fire development is so massive. It's... Well, the Ring of Fire is turning to the Ring of Smoke because In of... The seven... of the Ring of Fire will make Ontario a resource powerhouse. There's a long way to go before mining companies get the minerals out of the ground. But mining companies are still intent on developing the Ring of Fire, and it's become a feature of Ontario's plan to up production of clean technologies. Still, there are no all-season routes that let people reach the region, and misleading claims about the riches that lie in the Ring of Fire have shrouded the project for more than a decade. How did we get here? This podcast is called The Road. It's a co-production with Canada's National Observer. Funding for this podcast comes from the Gordon Sinclair Foundation. I'm Isaac Panne, and you're listening to Episode 2, Boom and Bust. People have been searching Northern Ontario for precious metals for a long time. According to documents from the Ontario Geological Survey, in 1930, an Ojibwe trapper hired by mining company Winnis River Mines found a green-tinged rock, evidence of a copper-nickel deposit. I couldn't find the name of the trapper in the documents, but I do know that they showed it to a Mr. J. E. Rowlandson, who staked the area and started to drill samples out of the rock. That spot is now known as Copper Point on Rollinson Lake, about 470 kilometers north of Thunder Bay. Since the 1980s, prospectors have also scoured the region for kimberlite, a dark and heavy rock that contains diamonds.
1: Northern Ontario has always been a hotbed of mineral exploration because it's such a vast area. It's huge. That was Mohan Srivastava. I'm a consultant who specializes in natural resource evaluation the clients the people i work for are usually
0: somehow related to the mining industry he's been in the business since the 80s and in that time servastava says he's helped mining companies answer all kinds of questions from how much a mineral deposit is worth to how a company can study environmental contamination And in the 2000s, Sravastava says most of the exploration in northern Ontario is by junior mining companies.
1: A lot of the world's big miners in the 1990s started closing down exploration departments. And the explorationists would just head off and form little groups of two and three friends who just thought, well, let's just explore together and if we find anything, we'll sell it.
0: So prospectors are forming junior mining companies that might not have an operating mine yet. And one of the people searching the north for minerals is Yeah, hi there, I'm Neil Novak. I'm a geologist. I've been a geologist
2: since, say, late 1970s.
0: In the mid-2000s, Novak is working with a company called Condor Diamonds. Condor is looking for, well, diamonds. They hire airplanes to fly around the region with tools that measure magnetic fields to create these a geophysical map, that's a
2: magnetic map of airborne data,
0: multicolored maps that show magnetic data over a landscape.
2: And areas of high intensity end up being very, very bright colors like reds, and areas of low intensity end up being um, low colors like blue.
0: These bright colors help geologists like Novak figure out where certain minerals might be. And while Novak did find kimberlite, he said the maps show something else. We looked at it for diamonds, but
2: while looking for diamonds, we kept on encountering sulfides. Okay.
0: Sulfides, compounds that often contain metals like zinc, nickel, and cobalt. They identify this one site, about 530 kilometers northeast of Thunder Bay, and call it the Eagle Deposit, or the Eagle's Nest Deposit. It's on a site where the peatland bogs meet an esker, a ridge of raised gravel. And in 2003, Condor Diamonds hires Novak as a consultant to investigate what lies underneath the bogs at Eagle's Nest.
2: It was a pretty messy job. Well, it's like walking, uh, if you can imagine, a fully saturated sponge at about uh, two or three meters thick, trying to walk on that. That's what it's like walking on the bog.
0: Novak explores the area, looking for evidence of the minerals. He heads there with teams of three or four people to do more surveys. But soon, another mining company buys the claims—Norant Resources. They have Novak keep exploring Eagle's Nest. And one day, in August of 2007, Novak and a team of four people clear the site to drill a sample out of the ground. And when Novak takes a look at the sample, he sees these grayish, almost bronzy crystals.
2: The crystals were about the size of, say, your thumbnail. Uh, and they're all fractured, and there's little striations in the in the crystal.
0: It's nickel. It was pretty exciting at the same time, Novak says the price of nickel is high, and Canada is one of the world's top nickel producers after Russia. Much of that production is in Sudbury, Ontario, about 850 kilometers to the south. So Novak drills a couple more holes and finds more evidence of the mineral.
2: That's when I actually had to uh, take off and head to Toronto with a couple pieces of the core to show the president of the company what we gotten ourselves into.
0: The discovery triggers a gold rush of sorts, a rush for nickel and chromite. According to industry blog, The Republic of Mining, companies stake more than 1,000 square kilometers of land nearby just six weeks after the Eagle discovery. Novak says the discovery changes Norant.
2: Well, the company duly really changed, became more really focused on looking to see how big the deposit was. It was a, more of a, a mine development company.
0: And the company starts trying to develop Eagle's Nest into a working mine. At the same time, new mining companies start to swoop in to stake their claim to the Ring of Fire. Major players include Toronto based mining company KWG Resources and steel producer Canada Chrome. Perhaps the biggest player to enter the scene is a steel producing company based in Cleveland, Ohio, called Cliffs Natural Resources. And in the rush of the late 2000s, Cliffs and Noront get into a bidding war over a property called Black Thor. Cliffs eventually won the property. It pays a total of $550 million for Blackthor and other deposits in the area. It's about this time that the region gets its nickname, the Ring of Fire. Many of the people I spoke to credit Noront Resources founder Richard Nemes for naming the region after a Johnny Cash song of the same name. Nemus died in 2019, so I couldn't ask him but Novak says he remembers being at a restaurant in Toronto sometime after the Eagle deposit discovery. He says Nemus was there
2: with two others. They were sitting in a uh, a restaurant bar in Toronto, around the bar, and talking about the discovery and everything else, and
0: I was sitting uh, uh, interviewing a geologist to come on staff (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, nearby. Novak had a large, multicolored map that showed the magnetic, radioactive, and conductive properties of the region. It's the kind of map geologists use to identify what minerals are in the earth below.
2: And they uh, laid it out of the bar, and uh, the the magnetic intensity, the way it was colored and everything else, looked like a giant uh, ring, big circle. The one fellow said, geez, that looks like a giant ring. He says, like, because it was red, they said, yeah, it's the ring of fire. Then the three of them started singing the old Johnny Cash song, so that kind of stuck.
0: Meanwhile, exploration work continues through the end of the 2000s. Prospectors build and develop camps to maintain a presence on their deposits. Planes are flying around the region for surveys and exploration, and helicopters arrive to deliver equipment and drills. But there's this big issue. And then there was a boom on uh, mining exploration for the next uh,
2: big uh, mining uh, region. That's fueled by the m- mining economy, the mining sector. And uh, at that time, they came in and uh, without our uh, without our notice, without our consent.
0: That's chief of Martin Falls First Nation, Bruce Achnipaniskam. And he says the exploration gets in people's way. The loud whirr of a helicopter can spook or even scare off an animal while people are trying to hunt. Webeque and Martin Falls First Nations set up tents and camp on a nearby landing strip for three months in 2010, making it clear that development isn't going to happen without their consent. And in March of 2010, the First Nations come to a tentative agreement with the Ontario government and the mining companies. They clean up their camp and mining activity continues. The Canadian press reports that by 2010, more than 30,000 claims are staked in the region. Srivastava says the rush on the Ring of Fire continues into the next decade.
1: There was a big flurry of activity in the early 2010s off of the uh, original discovery.
0: Over an area of about 5,000 square kilometers, Prospectors also find evidence of chromite, a source of chromium which is used to make stainless steel. They also find cobalt, copper, and platinum. Mining companies stake claim after claim in the area.
2: In the case of the Ring of Fire, there was a whole collection of junior companies sort of working together in an aggressive way but a very friendly way.
0: Cliffs Natural Resources wants to develop the Black Thor deposit. It calls it the Cliffs Chromite Project. But there's no efficient way to get to the Ring of Fire so mining companies try to change that. In 2011, Noront starts lobbying the Ontario government to develop a road or rail line to reach the Ring of Fire. Cliffs, on the other hand, doesn't want to wait for the government. It applies to the Ontario Mining and Lands Commissioner to build a 340-kilometer-long all-season gravel road from its project to the CN Rail Line, on top of claims owned by a third company, Canada Chrome. Canada Chrome Stakes Mineral Claims from the town of Nikina, Ontario, heading north 350 kilometers to McFalls Lake. It creates a line it proposes could be the route of a railway corridor into the Ring of Fire. And all that activity concerns the First Nations that call the region home. The Mattawa Chiefs Council represents nine First Nations in Northern Ontario, including Martin Falls, Webeque, and Nishkandiga First Nations, just some of the nations nearest to the Ring of Fire. Some of them aren't happy about the pace of development. In 2011, the Matawa chiefs say in a press release that they are deeply concerned about the Cliffs-Chromite project, specifically that the companies won't be required to sit down with nations to consult them in person about development. They launch a judicial review to require the company to hold a public hearing into the mine, so experts and residents of First Nations nearby can comment on development.
2: You know, the court cases uh have proven that you need to um, have a relationship with the First Nations people and discuss with them what what you're doing on the territory if it affects their Aboriginal treaty rights.
0: The review slows the project down, and the Ontario government steps in to negotiate with the First Nations. We'll have more on that later. But under new leadership, Cliffs cools on the Ring of Fire. By 2015, I had the sense that.
1: People were struggling to maintain interest in the Ring of Fire.
0: In 2013, Cliffs halts development of its chromite deposit indefinitely and reduces its staff in Thunder Bay and Toronto. And that gets the attention of Ontario politicians. Yeah.
2: The Ring of Fire is no, a particularly exciting answer. opportunity.
0: One... Here's Ontario Conservative MPP Lisa McLeod asking about the project in 2014. Well, the ring of fire is turning to the ring of smoke because of seven years of inaction by this Liberal government. It's disappointing that there has been such little advancement on something so incredibly important to the economic development and economic growth of this province. Former Premier Dalton McGuinty once heralded this project as, and I quote, the most promising mining opportunity the the country has seen in a century. Yet, to date, it seems we are nowhere realizing a $60 billion investment into our province. 60 billion dollars? Where did that come from? The Globe and Mail traced claims about the value of mineral deposits back to the 2013 convention of the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada. It's an event some dub the Super Bowl of Mining that sees mining executives, geologists, and First Nations leadership gather in Toronto. It's where geologist James Franklin first estimates the Ring of Fire could contain $60 $60 billion worth of metals in the ground.
3: That was my estimate based on a fairly thorough examination of all of the um, formal reporting that have been done in the district.
0: Mining companies need to disclose technical and scientific information about projects to investors publicly in a report to the Securities Exchange. It's called a 43-101 report. That's what Franklin uses in making his estimate.
3: Using all of the 43-101 information that was available at that time, I put together what appeared to be a reasonably, uh, I don't know if accurate is the correct word, but a uh, well-grounded estimate of resource and
0: resource potential. It's important to note that the number Franklin came up with is the in-situ value of the minerals.
3: In-situ value is the value of the metals contained in a deposit in the ground, um, in terms of their their dollar value per ton.
0: It doesn't factor in the costs of getting the minerals out of the ground and to production.
3: It's relatively easy to do the math on that, and figure out how many pounds or tons of metal are present, multiply that by dollars and you get a value. That gives you a value, but it doesn't mean anything until you subtract from that value the cost of extracting the resource. Until we know the cost of extraction of resources in any area, but including obviously the Ring of Fire, then we really don't know how to give a fair value to to an area.
0: But over time, that figure's meaning changes. Politicians start to say the project would bring $60 billion worth of value to Ontario. That's misrepresenting the number. Here's mining consultant Srivastava. If it costs you $80 billion to get that stuff out, Then it's not worth it. Like it's not sixty million dollars of free money sitting at the end of a rainbow. And here's that number again from incumbent Premier Kathleen Wynne in a debate ahead of the 2014 election.
3: Thank you very much, uh, and thank you, Deputy Grand
0: Chief. Um, you know, the, the Ring of Fire development is so massive. It's a $60 billion opportunity that uh, the the entire North, and as I have said, the entire province, and uh, I believe the country can benefit
3: from this economic development. But it has
0: Still, the Ring of Fire's biggest player has cold feet. In 2015, Cliffs sells all its stakes in the Ring of Fire to Noront for $20 million, a fraction of the $550 million they paid for them. The move leaves Noront as the company closest to getting a mine up and running in the Ring of Fire. Meanwhile, Noront is still focused on the Eagle's Nest deposit. In 2017, it issues more than 300,000 shares in the company to Martin Falls First Nation. But just like cliffs, its environmental assessment on the Eagle's Nest stalls and stops moving through the system. And then... We're
3: gonna get in there, after everyone agrees, we're gonna go in there and start
0: mining. Ford's new government rips up all the previous paperwork and starts environmental assessments from scratch. It makes it possible for mining companies to register mineral claims online. Before, for a company to stake a claim, someone would have to hammer out a line of wooden stakes in the ground to mark out their claims on the land. Now, mining companies can open a map online and file a claim to the land without ever leaving their desk. That's exactly what one mining company does. Juno Corporation. According to a corporate PowerPoint presentation from the Toronto-based mining company, Juno starts to quietly buy thousands of mining claims in the Ring of Fire. By 2021, Juno Corporation is the largest mineral claim holder in the Ring of Fire. According to its website, in 2023, it now holds more than 16,500 claims in the region, covering more than 3,200 square kilometers. And while Juno is buying up thousands of claims in the Ring of Fire, attitudes are shifting about chromite and nickel. They join a list of minerals like cobalt and lithium, minerals that are essential to make clean technologies. Both the federal and Ontario government call them critical minerals and support mining them.
4: As the federal government positions Canada to be a clean energy and technology supplier of choice in a low carbon future, Our reserves of critical minerals, combined with the expertise of Canadian workers and businesses in mining, are central to future success in this space.
0: At the end of 2022, Canada releases a strategy to become a world hub for critical minerals, which the federal government says are elements that are either necessary to Canada's economy or needed to make clean technologies. These are minerals like cobalt and nickel, which are crucial to making batteries for electric vehicles and storing energy from solar panels. Chromite is also a critical mineral. It's used to make stainless steel. These are minerals that companies have been trying to get to for more than a decade, that sit in the Eagle and Blackthor deposits in the Ring of Fire. The minerals of the Ring of Fire will make Ontario a resource powerhouse. And as we work towards being,
3: the North American leaders in electric vehicle production as we build new EV battery facilities and secure massive new investments
0: from the auto companies, these resources have never been more important. Also in 2022, Ontario releases its own critical mineral strategy, and the ring of fire is named as a key part. That year, Noront is purchased by battery resources company, Wailu Metals, which is owned by the Australian billionaire Andrew Forrest. It rebrands as Ring of Fire Metals, and in September of 2023, both companies rebrand as a single company. It's called Wailu I'm Kristen Straub. He's been the CEO of Wailu Ring of Fire since March. We're a regional player within the Ring of Fire region. Before that, he held executive roles at mining companies like Glencore and Extrada.
4: Ultimately working across the globe in different nickel, copper, PGE
0: deposits. That PGE stands for Platinum Group Elements, five shiny metals that are used to make catalytic converters and computer hard disks. Ontario lists them as critical minerals. Nickel Copper PGE is what's in the Eagle's deposit. In the corner of the boardroom where I meet Straub is an orange model of the deposit. It's almost cylindrical in shape, with some bands kind of like a branch, and it's next to a scale model of the CN Tower.
4: It's about two and a half CN towers tall in terms of the depth that it plunges down to uh, below surface.
0: In reality, the Eagle deposit is up to 150 meters wide and more than a kilometer deep. Straub says they don't know how deep the deposit actually goes. Because of the depth,
4: we haven't really explored significantly below the limits of where you see that model today. Just because, from a cost and an, and an ability to execute perspective from surface today, it, it's, it's just not viable for us to continue to explore that.
0: And right now, Wailu estimates that deposit contains.
4: That deposit is roughly about 20 million tons at about 3.2% nickel equivalent.
0: That's 20 million tons of rock with 3.2% concentration in the rock of all these metals, which Straub calls nickel equivalent.
4: When I say nickel equivalent, it's the the nickel with the values of copper and platinum and palladium group elements added into it to convert it into nickel units.
0: Straub did not share an estimate for the value of metals in the Eagle deposit, but he says the company expects to file a 43-101 report next year. That report will include an estimate for the value of the minerals in the Eagle's Nest and the cost of getting them to production. And as for the whole Ring of Fire region. Do you have an estimate for the in situ value of uh, all the minerals in the region?
4: That is a question that uh, that over, the t- over years and years, that question continues to get asked. And uh, we
0: put some information out on that because uh, we were asked again. Straub says the company last calculated the value at the beginning of 2023. Say at the beginning of this year, that value that we calculated is around $90 billion. That value was calculated using the estimated amount of minerals in the ground and the price at which each mineral was traded at the time. Again, it did not include the cost of mining those minerals or getting them to production. In fact, Straub says he thinks the value of minerals in the whole Ring of Fire region are lower than at the start of the year. Since the company made the $90 billion estimate, the price of nickel has dropped.
4: Without an ability to have infrastructure to get there, it's a number that just about anybody can, can calculate and, and throw around. And we've had lots of criticism back on the number itself because it doesn't include this, it doesn't include, um, we're right. We haven't said that it includes any of those things.
0: Straub says Wailoo is still waiting for Ontario to build a road into the Ring of Fire.
4: In order to have a successful operation, you must have road connectivity back to the provincial highways.
0: In fact, the company is still lobbying Ontario to provide access to the region. So nickel prices are volatile and there's still no way to get materials out of the region. Why still mine the Ring of Fire?
4: Whether it's your iPhone or your Samsung phone, it requires precious metals. It also requires nickel. And you should ask where where that's sourced and, and how that's here. As you drive your electric vehicle, as we make a shift towards battery electric vehicles, we make that shift, they're going to require increased volumes of nickel and copper and other precious metals into the future. And we as Canadians and North Americans should ask, where are we getting that supply from?
0: His argument is that Canadians are going to need nickel for the green transition, and that if we truly want to lower emissions of planet-warming gases, we need to source that nickel in Canada under Canadian laws that protect the environment.
4: If you're developing and sourcing nickel from a much lower carbon intensity perspective, you have a greater CO2 payback or impact very early
0: on in the project. next time on the road. And it is absolutely critical that that carbon stays in the ground. How mining the Ring of Fire could destroy one of Earth's best defenses against global warming.
4: You can smell the gas even in the wintertime. You can even go light a fire on the ice and it will explode where methane gas is.
0: And how some First Nations are trying to save it. This podcast is reported, written, and produced by me, Isaac pan It's a co-production with Canada's National Observer. Funding for this podcast comes from the Gordon Sinclair Foundation. Story editing by Sandra Bartlett and Zara Kozema, with sound effects from Pixabay. If you think other people should find us, leave a comment and a five-star rating. It would really help us out. And our theme song is Gravel and Grit by Northern Points.